Podcast where we talk about all things Blondie. My name is Eamon Adelou. I'm an artist designer working in the pop culture and toy industry. And my three co-hosts today is one Matt O'Toole, who's a film and TV practical effects wizard. How are you today, Matt? I'm doing good, thank you, sir. Good stuff. Are you Not making it? When you when you back on set? Oh Lord, that's a that's a loaded question, man. I have no idea. <laughs> really? Right now I'm enjoying the uh, enjoying the fruits of my labour and just sitting in my little uh, castle of power workshop and sculpting. Uh, to be honest. I've been practicing my whole life for this. I'm loving it. Oh, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> All right, there you go. That's good, then. I'm, I'm also joined by Josh Van Pelt, who is the co-founder of the Power and Honor Foundation and Master Universe Historian. How are you today, Josh? Uh, very good. How about you? Ah, not bad, not bad. You know, tinkering way. Working through my comics, man. It's a nightmare trying to go through. Oh. I have 18 <laughs> years of comics here, and I was a five to ten issue a month kind of a guy. So it's a pain. I'll tell you that now. And it's, I have to say that it's just, I think comic books is just a wonderful art form, and it is a shame. Oh, I think it's a shame what the kind of '90s did, and kind of slightly ru- ruined us thinking that these that these were going to be worth a fortune in years to come. And they're not. Comic books were always designed to be rolled up and stuck in your back pocket and printed on pulp and stuff like that. That's why older comic books are so rare because people threw them away. They were not meant to be kept. They were like yep. like a newspaper. They were meant to be kind of disposed of but I could go off on that one Johnny Atkins who's not <laughs> Hello. Johnny Atkins you're not a big fan of Rush are you like John Atkins in the in uh, the Goldbergs are you is Rush is Rush, Rush? I, I, I actually do like Rush well there I you go brilliant that's my joke <laughs> sorted out that's how my whole thing is sorted out because the other he just didn't get do you, do you watch the Goldbergs John I do yes yeah you see tell Josh he's wrong for not watching it yeah yeah, Josh. It's no cat <laughs> laughter, Josh. No I watch it and I get teased constantly because of that character and his name. <laughs> Johnny Atkins. Russia's greatest band ever. Well, John, you are, of course, the owner of He Man of the World and a massive universe historian unto yourself, aren't you, sir? Yes, I am. Yes, ah, yes. Well, there you go. Okay, well, so, you know, we're all fans, big, massive, massive universe fans here on Battlecast, as you can't tell already. That's why we're doing a podcast, because we like this stuff. But, you know, uh, with the crazy, impressive Snake Mountain kind of on the horizon, I thought, you know, Snake Mountain is imminent, and I thought it'd just be wise and appropriate to have the man behind what has ended up being the world's longest single-running action figure line. Toy Guru himself, Scott Knightlick, is joining us today on Battlecast. How are you today, Scott, sir? Oh, oh, that's me. Oh, oh, yes, hi. yes, yeah, you. <laughs> What's up, Scott? Hello, Scott. Longest running. I don't know. Star Wars might have us beat. Do you reckon? Well, no, yeah. no, but single running line. This is only ever called Masters of the Universe Classics. There was no sub lines. There was no spin off lines. It's one consistent line all the way through from, 20, what was it, 2008 to 2007? To yeah, King Grayskull was Comic Con 2008. Nope, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Scott. Oh, oh yeah, King Grayskull was 2008 Comic Con. Right, mm-hmm. right. King Grayskull was 2008 Comic Con. So yeah, mm-hmm. so we are talking about. Jeez, we're talking what 12, 12 years. Yeah. yeah okay. Uh, you're right because yeah, Star Wars has been through you know everything from Power of the Force two through right, you know, or the Jedi, and then all each movie separate. Oh, yeah. 
Totally, you're right. Yeah. All right. If you're gonna if you're gonna go with that, we absolutely get the crown, and I'll take. Well, there you go. Crown <laughs> earned the crown. You earned the crown, Scott. You earned you earned our crown. So yeah, but before we before we actually get start started about the you know the twelve to thirteen history of Massive's classics with Scott, I just figure we like it. We like to discuss the news. Just latest happenings in Eternia, just for, just for the news. So, uh, uh, Matt, we got uh, we we actually actually I'll actually. I, I'll actually ask Scott about this first, actually, because Scott used to work with Mattel. Does Fisher Price have announced, Scott, that they're making Little People Masters of the Universe toys? Has any of you heard about this? No, no, actually, I haven't. You're talking like the the the, the squishy, like super deformed one, like the current yes. one. Yeah, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not the pinmates, old school kinds. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's I was I was not expecting. Josh, were you expecting that? I was not. Although they did do the WWE WWF ones recently, so. Oh. Oh, right. Okay. That... But they didn't get much much traction at all. Like you could still get them really cheap on Amazon. Really? Did the yeah. did the WWE Mas- Masters of the Universe do do well for them? I wonder. Because they ended up on kind of a clearance quite quickly as well, didn't they? They did, but they seem to still have a strong strong following. Yeah. Um, they and now with this retail environment, it's tough to judge things. Right. Uh, right. So right, let me ask a, let me ask a question. What, when you say little people, what what are you talking about, little people? I'm not saying the, they're little Fisher Price little people. They're like little rubber two inch figures, <clears throat> unarticulated, oh. like 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 a toddler can chew on them and they're safe. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, I should get them then. Yeah, they chew a toy. There you go. I mean, they're 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 pretty interesting. We haven't had any pictures yet, though, have we, Johnny Atkins? No, no, there hasn't been any pictures yet, and uh, it was just announced on, on June 10th, so hopefully we're going to see some pictures soon. Yeah, okay, cool. All right, well, the other good thing we saw was, uh, I, I was going to say the sideshow, Hornick, but it's not, because Tweeterhead and his crew, along with uh, David Igo, uh, David Igo, who used to be with Sideshow Collectibles, has left, and he's working with Tweeterhead, but they're going to continue the same Masters Universe uh, one, Jesus, what's the scale? Not one sixth. It's not one quarter. It's somewhere in between. <laughs> I don't know what. The... Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> the sideshow collectibles kind of more um, uh, interpretations uh, statues, which you know I've I've absolutely loved. But but Hordak has been released. Um, uh, let's see who will ask. Scott, have you seen the the Hordak statue from sideshow, from Tweeterhead yeah. rather? Tweeterhead. I've seen all. They look awesome. Yeah, we. we it be... looks good, right? Yeah, it does. It does. It, it looks really good. Did you get any of the previous ones, Scott? At all? Did you get any of the other ones? No, so you'll you'll find, and you'll probably, you know, you may ask me this a lot about different lines, whether it's, you know, the WWE stuff or now this upcoming Fisher-Price or even Super 7. My Honestly, just to lay my cards on the table, I actually don't buy any of it. Oh, oh the not, protest? <laughs> no, no, no. It's not because I don't love the brand. I obviously do. I mean, I rearranged my entire life to work on the brand. Yeah, you did. But... You know, to, again, to throw my cards on the table, I feel like Classics is a complete line, mm. and I have everybody I want in one scale that works with each other. Mm-hmm. And while occasionally I might buy a statue or, you know, if something's like really adorable, cute, or, you know, badass looking, I'll get it. But I'm not really in the market, I guess you could say. For another complete He-Man line, yeah. shall we say? Yeah, like yeah, that yeah. itch is that box is checked in my my personal collection. Mm. My class. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of the same, to be honest. I'm kind of so the same. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I might buy like one or two items here and there, um, but 
like I, I only have like I think two of the like the retro Super Seven figures, mm. but just because I thought they were like visually neat. Mm-hmm. But um, and I I mean I I love I mean the fact that Mattel's making Fisher Price figures like that's great. Yeah. I tried I tried to make that happen for so many years. And I, I know that it's, it's it must be a little uh, frustrating to, yeah, be, uh, I, to see them doubling down now when they could have been doubling down when you were there. <laughs> would it, would it, would, yeah, no. That, that's a whole other. That's a that's a whole that's a whole other story. Okay, and the other little bit of news that we had. Then, oh, sorry, I've got to ask Josh. You were gonna. Were you gonna say something about the statue? I uh, no no. I'm, you were gonna. Johnny Atkins, how do you feel about the statue? Oh, I think the statue looks amazing. Um, now, I, for me again, it, it's a price factor. They're very expensive, so mm-hmm. I haven't been collecting the line, but. Uh, um, the Hordex statue is amazing, and I really, really love the the filmation look. Mm. Uh, the um, exclusive, I, I just think that that head in particular really, really turned out well, and it showed just how vicious you could actually make the you know the original filmation head look. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I thought that was really well done. Matthew, how did you think? I like it. I think it's cool. I think it's. Um, I think uh, Emiliano pointed out that. The pose is super similar to He-Man. Yeah, pose. it is. It's a bit too. So that kind of throws me a little, mm. just a little bit. But um, but uh, you know, like John said, it's it's uh, those things are pricey, man. So uh, yeah, I can't like when um, classics come out. I'm like my price range, perfect, beautiful sculpts, everything's perfect. You know, and got every one, well, yeah. more more or less every yeah. one. But you know, same with Scott. Uh, I I don't really get anything other than those anymore. You know, I'm like. That's my collection done, but I probably will end up getting the uh, the new little um, origins, vintage inspired ones. Yeah, the yeah, origin um... ones. Or I won't get them. I'll just get like maybe the core team. You know, yeah, yeah. Man, Man at Arms, Tila, <laughs> Skeletor, Beast Man, Merman, <laughs> Evil In, yeah. and that's it. You know, which will gently, and, uh... which gently takes. But, yeah, the statue, but the sculpt itself, the actual statue is awesome beautiful sculpture yeah no I, I, I like it see I'm actually one of those people that uh, I mean I quite, hats off to all the designers well there was like there was like a few of them yeah, there was quite, a, quite a few designers on there so I'm not going right. to list them all but one of them's Nate so hey Nate there you go and we got um, I I uh, people always like like that extra head, like the like the sideshow head. The people went nuts over the sideshow uh, when they yeah. raised a plain Skeletor head, and it's like, no, but to me, the heads that they designed for the statue is what goes with the statue because that's the interpretation for me. I'm like, cool, it gives people that kind of option because I guess that's the security blanket, isn't it? <laughs> to have a little bit more yeah. familiar. But yes. I'm, I I really like the actual head that becomes with. I'm definitely getting these. I've got all of them so far except for Orko. Nice. I've got uh, all all four. I've got Skeletor, Shira, and He-Man here in front of me, and I got Evelyn packed away with her sweet tuckus that she has so gonna, uh, you didn't like uh, the orca one i did i did i was a bit late on i was basically i have a kind of a my on my other podcast the hot toy cast i've kind of got a sponsorship thingy so i'm, I'm able to get a couple of little things on really cheap and and by the time i kind of got around to doing a podcasting into orca i just i just had missed out on it i wanted it again because it's a nice design but i want to get it but sadly no no i didn't get it um which uh, leads Not us because you hate orca like me huh? no no i, I, I no, but that does that that design of that design of Oracle made him look quite quite a serious player and stuff like that. And again, I, I quite liked how uh, 2002 um, uh, animated series handled Oracle, where he was actually a wizard yeah. and not quite as goofy, but he had a kind of a happy side to him that was still quite Oracle. I, I like Oracle. Um, yeah. And that uh, takes us on, then, of course, to le- leads us into a little bit of the origins. Uh, where has, people are now... Uh, uh, now, these origins, Massive's origins, of course, as we saw, are based on the vintage figures. They're essentially... Looks like what do you think, Scott? They they got they got vintage figures, scanned them, and added details onto them. Added, do I think that's uh, how they made them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I honestly I have no idea. Um, I mean, I'd have to have one in hand to tell you exactly. It's, it's not out of the question. Um, I mean, you know, like looking at uh, what Hasbro's doing with the Star Wars mm-hmm. retro line, like they have at Walmart for Empire. Yeah. Those are definitely sort of scans, <laughs> or I think Adam Paulus put it best as they look like a copy of a copy of a copy. Yeah. <laughs> not interesting. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'd have to have it in hand to sort of comment on the actual logistics the toy making process of mm-hmm. whether you know they they sculpted it all new or they scanned an original i know that's how gentle giant did some of the 12 inch star wars and joe figures yes i can confirm this i work with gentle giant yes that is true yep so yeah it, i'd have to have it in hand to, to give you an exact look but i think you know aesthetically what they're going for is obviously a vintage figure with mm-hmm. modern articulation mm-hmm. And, and, and we, 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 we were seeing them now. People are actually have managed to order and many people have managed to get, get, get He-Man and Skeletor from Walmart and they're starting to show people things and stuff like that. I have to say, you know, they, they, I'm not blown away by them, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, look, they look neat. And I'm my biggest thing with these is like, I'm just legit seeing how He-Man is going to fare at retail. I did make a comment on the other thing that is quite mental that, okay, so they're reissuing the Star Wars figures. They're reissuing the Ninja Turtles figures. They are reissuing the real Ghostbusters figures. And now we got essentially reissues of Massive So basically, we're idiots. We're being sold all the same <laughs> stuff that we were when we were kids. We, we are marketers' exactly. dreams here. They're going to release pe- what, Coke Classic or something again or some crack, aren't they? Do the, let's, do the, let's do the Pepsi challenge again because that was fun. You know? Um, but I, I, I'm pretty cool. You see them in packaging and stuff like that. And I do, I do get a little excited when I kind of see them in packaging again. I have like my own kind of issues on it and stuff like that. And but what did you? Um, I'll go through you guys. Uh, Matt, what did you think of them? Like the look of the packaging and stuff like that. How, how what did you think of it so far? I like it. I mean, you know, I think they technically could have been done better. There's something about them that's that's off. I don't know whether it's like if you look at the original sculpture, you know, the original um, Guerrero sculpture and and you and you take a good look at the proportions of that it's not it's not uh crazy disproportionate it's just when they got translated into toys they turned into massive top heavy with the scrunched legs and stuff and i think they could have went back and looked at that guerrero original yeah and then and then and kind of went from there rather than going from the actual old toy i mean i get i get why they did it because they're after the nostalgia points and stuff but I'm, right. I'm looking at one of the wrestlers now, and I've got it posed out with legs straight, one's bent, spread. and I've got I've got to say I kind of like him. Yeah. I kind of do. I, yeah. I hate the new He-Man head, and I know he's meant to be based on the Alcala drawing, but it just doesn't work for me. I, I just think he looks crap. So <laughs> I've molded I've molded one of my old the one actually the one that you sent me, Josh. I've molded <laughs> that He-Man head. And I've cast it out, and I'm and he's waiting for my body so that I can pop it on. <laughs> Wicked. Wicked. Josh, your take on the pictures of the in-hand pictures you've seen so far? Um, we had talked about the two-pack that we got from last year. Oh, uh, yes, earlier. of course. Yeah, yeah. So so I love the idea of it. I just think it's a little hard to, to like Matt said, they tried to add articulation to a figure that wasn't supposed to be articulated, so his pose is off. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah exactly. exactly what I was saying like they they should have not should have they could have <laughs> went back and tried nah, to start right. <laughs> uh, you know a step further back rather than starting with the vintage figure and adding articulation if they took one half step back just so that his his posture and his pose was was a little more um 
not realistic, but but just just looked more natural. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, like right now, like yeah. even in the package, right in the pack, his arms seem a little long, but I think that's just because of all the articulation points. Yeah, yeah, are, yeah. That are added. Um, it, you know, it, it just doesn't quite look like the vintage figure, and that was the whole point of it. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Josh, uh, but I, I like the playing. I like the playability of them. I think they're cool. Yeah, yeah, they're very playable. That's, you can sit down, and I've, I have a new uh, criteria for action figures now. Um, is, 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 are they compatible with sitting down and watching TV with your partner? I.e., do they squeak <laughs> when you play with them? When you're messing about, you know, you're watching your TV or something, you're watching your, your movie or something, you have a figure in your hand, your, <laughs> your Daily Show, your John Oliver's or whatever, and it doesn't make it, it no squeak, no squeaks. So that's good. Other figures it do. It would be so much eye rolling in my house if I sat and played with action figures while I was watching a movie. Both <laughs> my daughter and my wife, would, their eyes would be like going to the back of this. <laughs> I have a very, very, very tolerant girlfriend. I will tell you. You've this got a now. sweet girl. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Atkin, what's your take on on these? Because you'll be obviously with the He-Man world, uh, you'll be uh, showing off these quite a bit, I reckon. Oh, for sure. Um, I like the figures. I, I, I like the, the playability factor that we were talking about. I think for uh, for kids, this is definitely going to be a great line. Um, and, you know, it's great that, you know, people are getting them uh, from Walmart. I did log in a few times to see if I could order one. Haven't had any luck yet. So, um, but it sounds like they're getting, you know, new product in fairly quickly, which is good. Um in regards to the the figure itself, I'm not a huge fan of uh, of the more modern head that they have on the He-Man. I liked with the two pack where they had the vintage head as well. I feel that vintage head looks more like, you know, the vintage figure. I'm actually surprised that they didn't use that as the main head for for this figure because there's been yeah, so many complaints. You know, it was a strange. Uh, it was a strange one for me actually because it's like that's they're basically that Alcala, but Skeletor is a base of Alcala, nor is Beastman, or you know. It's, so I just thought it was a little odd that they kind of they kind of, they kind of went down that route there. But we look forward yeah, to. But it. I, I'm sure though. I'm sure we'll see it. You know, maybe with a Wind Raider or something, it'll come with a the He Man with the Vintage Head or something. They'll find a way to to sell more to to get that out there for sure. <laughs> yeah. For um, sure. And then I, I noticed something, too, uh, with the packaging with the figures that people are getting. Um, and I'm not a huge fan of the packaging. I think it's a little too busy. Uh, with the packaging, it, uh, in the top corner, it says new for 20. And then it says uh, modern posing, retro play, and a big yellow starburst bubble. And uh, when I look back at the original um, figure that they had uh, at one of the conventions... Uh, they only had one star, um, like the the starburst on the package, and it said highly articulated for power posing. Mm -hmm. And then now the the one that came out, it says modern posing retro play. Mm -hmm. and I'm like, what? I mean, uh, no no young kid is going to care about that. I think it was better to have it with the the power posing uh, starburst, and it was just it didn't have the new for twenty on the. Uh, the original packaging I saw, so, so I think they went a little busy with the packaging. I think sometimes less is more. Less is less is more. Scott, you had uh, you had an opinion. You were, you were saying, um, you were, had you had an opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, you want me to chime in on on the origins line? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, just just Be what honest, just 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 on what you've seen so far, just in terms of because uh, um, well, obviously Spectre Creative, you, this is kind of your arena now. You're kind of going into the kind of uh, branding and and all this kind of arena now. So I'll just be curious to see what your kind of take on on this would be. That is true. That's true. And for those, I'm going to plug myself quick. Plug it. You plug it. That. Um, 
what uh, Amen's referring to, yeah, so I've, uh, last about two years, I've very successfully been running a consulting business called Spectre Creative. You can yeah. see us on spectrecreative.com. Uh, essentially helping toy companies develop better product from what, what I call the emotional connection standpoint. In other words, why is a customer, whether it's a kid or a mom or a dad or a gift giver or an adult collector, buying the product? And definitely check out the YouTube channel, too, because we have a lot of cool content up. Yeah, I've been checking that right. out. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in fact, I just uploaded one dar this morning. Oh, All right. cool. Oh, that would be so interesting. With uh, with that plug out of the way, um, <laughs> Origins. So, here's the thing. From my perspective, as both a fan and a toy maker and someone who's actually worked for Mattel, this toy line was designed by a spreadsheet. Mm. In other words, uh, they looked at things like the DC Savage World and what Funko was doing with Thundercats yeah. and said, oh, there's a form factor that's working and it's based actually on our a form factor that we had in the 80s. We should do that. Mm. Oh, nice. But the problem is, you remember like in the, the original Jurassic Park movie when... Ian, uh, uh, yeah, Ian is, is sort of chewing out Hammond and saying, you know, you spent all this time thinking about what you could do, but you didn't. You, you should have. <laughs> uh, you know, and then you branded it, you put it on lunchboxes. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, to, from an outside perspective, I mean, obviously I didn't work on this line, hmm. but what it appears to me is a line in search of an audience. It's what my buddy Bill Beneke, who was the... Uh, the designer on a lot of Motu classics and DC Universe classics, he used to call things a sofa bed, meaning a sofa bed toy, meaning it's not quite a sofa and it's not quite a bed. You're not really getting either one. You've got this weird mix match. So like, you don't really know what you have. So is it a kid's line? Is it a collector's line? Mm. And just my emotional feeling looking at it is that it was made because a spreadsheet told them to make it and it doesn't feel like something like you guys have just been saying they're putting modern articulation onto a vintage figure that's not built for that type of articulation mm -hmm. so to me it begs the question of why I would rather have honestly just new vintage figures Without the articulation of you know new, of characters that were never in the vintage line, kind of like what Super Seven was doing, I thought that Hero and Eldor they did were that was that's perfect. You liked that, did you? I thought those were especially the fact that they did the packaging perfectly. Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. I was blown away. Well, that's um, Josh and Emiliano doing all that, wasn't it, guys? <laughs> well, there yes, you, it was. Obviously, it was done by people who love the brand, you know, and and could you could tell. So yeah, with Origins, you know, again, I mean, it's. Do I love the fact that He-Man's at retail? Yes. Do I think doing it without content out there is a death toll? Yes. Um, you know, I wish them luck. I'd love to see it succeed. Uh, but to me, yeah, it feels like, you know, a, like a sofa bed of a toy that was done because they could, not because they should. Mm, mm, that's really interesting. That's, 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 that's what I was saying to you, basically, Eamon, uh, the other day, I remember. I was saying, I feel like they... They don't know their own brand. They, you know, it's like just go back to the to to why kids liked it in the first place. You know, mm. just mm. cool barbarian warrior with tech stuff. It's like they don't know whether he's a spaceman. They don't know whether it's 
fantasy that I, you know I, I I hear you yeah yeah I mean I I I think it's going to be very interesting to see what we get with this newer. He-Man and the Masters of the Universe that they're doing for Netflix. That's, yeah, I think, going to be the, 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 the real new thing. I'm, I'm guessing that Origins is just going to like, it's a nice quick idea. We can kind of whack, whack these figures out there and test the water. We've seen that these retro-style figures have sold, sold quite well for other companies. Right. And I just, think, I just think this is quite a, let's kind of do this and, 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 see, and see how it kind of goes. But it is interesting that they're just doubling down on every, everything so much. And, and we've got, like, we got the revelation as well now coming as well, which bleeds which I was just going to quickly say, we did actually, listeners, hear uh, Chris Wood on the latest Fat Man and the Batman, Chris Wood, who obviously play, uh, is the voice, uh, not obviously, he is the voice for uh, He-Man and Prince Adam in the new Masters Revelation from Netflix, and uh, he was there talking about Prince Adam, and uh, you should check out the latest Fat Man and the Batman, uh, Fat Man Beyond, uh, with himself and Bernard and talking, and it's just nice what Chris Wood says about He-Man, you know, that, uh, you know, yeah. he, he had, he actually did have the figures, and he was a little, very, a little, a little, little, little boy, he does remember it, and uh, he was just on about the, the how his voice would be different and what he thinks what Prince Adam should be and I just liked what he said there so that's definitely worth worth checking out but let's get back onto proper Scott uh, Knightley territory here now and uh, let's, let's carry on so one of the things that I've seen on Facebook lately uh, Scott is uh, the this uh, 10 figures that influenced you and so I thought it'd be an interesting oh, way yeah. to, to start off your uh, start off your career by saying what was uh, kind of the figure that kind of are the the, the toys that kind of influenced you because you and, and and tell us then how that maybe maybe led then into you how you got work with Mattel and, and stuff. Give us give us your intro bio, if you will. Oh, okay. You, you don't mean you don't mean necessarily He Man. Uh, no, no, like, for instance, when I got my post, for instance, I posted these old cowboy figures that I had at, a, like, the early, early age. So give us, like, your, your, obviously, besides He-Man, what were the kind of toys that really got you really interested in toys? Got it. Okay, cool, cool. Got, it's funny, I haven't seen that on Facebook, but that's an awesome thing. I'm going to have to search it down. Maybe I'll even make a video. Yeah, you, you can be nom- I'll nominate you. I sh- I'll nominate oh, you on oh, another right, one. I've been nominated. Yeah, you got, nominated. you got to be nominated. There you go. Nominate. We'll nominate you. All right, well. I'm actually sitting in my kind of toy room man cave office here Yay. so I can actually look around and, and see a lot of stuff. So, um, all right, toys that influenced me. Well, a big one that that would be, uh, there was a toy line called Constructs oh, yeah. back in the 80s. It was a uh, girder and bolt building system that was actually made by Fisher-Price. Mattel put it out again in the late 90s, and they now use the name at Megablocks since they own the name, but it's not Constructs. But the little minifigs that came with Constructs, uh, there, were, there were some astronauts and aliens, and that was actually the original Captain Spectre, um, was the silver astronaut. I still have him. He's, I'm looking at him right now <laughs> on my shelf next to his spaceship that I built. So there was that one. Um, the, uh, the toy is... Spider-Man, classic Spider-Man, that was sort of the precursor to Marvel Legends that started the whole super articulation bandwagon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that was a you know big one that kind of got me going as an adult collector, as did the Power of the Force 2 figures in 95. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I would say, I mean, from a vintage standpoint, I mean, absolutely, He-Man, and I think Avaldo Stratos was my big one. I just love the idea of a flying monkey guy with a mm-hmm. jetpack. <laughs> um, I think he was my favorite He-Man, I mean, Motu figure I had as a kid. For vintage Star Wars, I think uh, Bespin Luke and Admiral Akbar were two that just really spoke to me for some reason. I don't uh-huh. know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
Admiral Ackbar is just awesome, and Luke was kind of that. I think that was like the only Luke I had for a long time was Bespin Luke. Because <laughs> um, I never had Haas Luke. In fact, and I'm even actually as I look up my shelf here, I'm seeing the uh, Star Wars like the the Hoth Trooper, not the one with the beard, the vintage one that did not have that had no beard. That was my Hoth Luke. Like I would use that as Hoth Luke, and I, I grew up in Connecticut where it snowed. So that figure got a lot of play, and I would just pretend that that was Luke. So that figure was an absolute favorite of mine. I've got him right up on my shelf. Um, what else? The, the World of Simpsons figures I absolutely loved. Um, you know, I'm looking at I've got Burns and Comic Book Guy, and uh, oh, um, and oh, the Sea Captain. I've got two of him for some reason. Um. Am I am I up to ten? I don't know how many. No, you don't need to do ten. I mean, it it, it is kind of a stretch. It's, it's kind of a stretch to do a bit of ten, but you know, I, it's, it's Facebook. Yeah. People are looking at the stuff every day, so you got to put ten down, I guess. At, at, at a bit at a bit of a stretch, but uh, yeah, I mean, if there was any other thing, this thing was a pop I mean, for me, it was like like I love the six million dollar man. I never had it, but I remember my neighbor had it, and I played with it every day, and he wouldn't give it to me ever for a loan, so I had to go over there and play with it. And I loved that <laughs> that six million dollar man figure. It was just I just I had one of those. That was awesome. Yep. Though you had one, Matt, did you? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was uh, and the Maskatron. Remember Maskatron, the bad guy. Yep. Yeah, and and uh, but my my biggest one, I think, is I think basically was He Man, but slightly before He Man, it was Rom. Oh, you remember yeah, Rom, the Space Knight. The Space Knight. Yes. Yeah, it was Rom and the Micronauts. Man, yeah. I loved all that stuff. <laughs> so Scott and uh, oh, Action Jacks, remember Action Jacks? Oh, Action Jacks, that's what's gonna be one of my ones too. Action Jacks, yeah. I, and I don't know if they were were they in America? Action Jacks? I don't know. I I don't think so. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, it was well, like have, the have, worst, have crappiest little GI Joes you've ever seen in your life. They were like thirty five <laughs> pence. They were they were thirty five cents. They were they were wicked. You know what I mean? <laughs> An action more. figure for thirty five cents, just. Just imagine what kind of action. Yeah. And it was fully articulated, and you could take the. Dis- Remember, you pull the heads off and the whole body drops. Yeah, off, yeah. He, could, he, he, he <laughs> disassembled it, took his head off. It was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. right. we, this, is, this is what it's going to be like now, Scott. We'll, we'll go off in little mad tangents and stuff like that. But can, <laughs> so, so, can give us a bit of a bite background. You, went, what did you obviously you went to college. What did, what did, you, what did you study in college? College, oh, college. I, I went to college. Yes, I went to college. Yes, um, so yes, I went to. Uh, so after Connecticut, I grew up in California, mm-hmm. and then I was in high school in Irvine, California, Orange County, and then went to college at UC Santa Barbara, uh, or University of California at Santa Barbara, I think is the official title. Mm-hmm. Uh, go Gauchos! And I major. I was a double major in film studies and communication. I started with film. Because uh, I wanted to be a screenwriter. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or at least the idea I wanted to write TV commercials. I thought that was going to be my be-all <laughs> goal. But then after about two years of film, I realized that I was just watching a lot of movies. I was learning film structure, but I, I didn't feel like I was getting something that would really be good in business. So I added communication as a second major. And then here's where you'll laugh. My senior thesis paper that I wrote for film studies was on using action figures as a marketing vehicle for movies. All right. Cool. And I got a C on it. And <laughs> my the reason she gave me a C is she said it was too opinionated. I didn't have oh, enough. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so years later, I, uh, I didn't do this, but I should have. I wanted to send my business card when I was a marketing director at Mattel with a copy of my paper. <laughs> 
and say, it's not an opinion when you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would have been nice. Yeah, there's a few, yeah. te- there's a few yeah, teachers I'd like to do that. To that one. So that was like your first kind of real... That, that right there showing your love for toys from a, quite a, a young age. Well, I did a thesis as well, and I kept on injecting He-Man into a thesis about heroic heroes like Ku Cullen and, and, and King Arthur, and I kept on dropping He-Man in there like he was a historical character. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I, I, too, I too got a C. <laughs> C's but, get degrees. C's do get degrees. So I was uh, at that, what point did you start working at Mattel then? How did, uh, what were your steps to kind of lead into that, the actual toy business? Was Mattel your first? Um, toy company that you worked for? It was, and it was it was the place I wanted to be. Uh, I wanted to go into toy making immediately. And a, a part of that was because growing up in Southern California, Mattel used to be in Torrance right off the freeway on Hawthorne Street. And that's the old address you'll even see on the old He-Man toys from the 80s. Yeah. And Hawthorne. you would see the building right off the freeway. So every time we were driving on the 405, which is the main freeway, you would see you know, Mattel. And as a kid, you're like, oh my God, there's like a toy factory right there. And even my father, uh, he was a, a vice president at a, a sporting good company called Yonix in the 80s. And one of his co-workers, his, her husband was a vice president at Mattel and used to get, so used to, so through her husband, through her would give my father the Mattel catalogs. So as a kid, I used to get the Mattel catalogs every quarter which was just like amazing because you know it was before the internet and you'd get to see, you know, it was just like a phone book full of new toys. <laughs> so um, long story short, so, so you know, that kind of ingrained the idea that Mattel was sort of in my backyard. Right after college, I, I reached out to, to this person who I, you know, I knew from my dad's work. He was able to get me an informational interview with someone at Mattel. I drove up there, I had the interview. And they basically said, if you want to be a toy designer, you need to go to engineering school. And I was like, oh, oh crap. Yeah, All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Much for that dream. So I went back to Orange County and I became a writer, which is what I wanted to do with the film degree uh, in advertising. I worked in marketing for four years. Right. And what I wound up working on is pharmaceutical advertising on a glaucoma and skincare account. Which the the nice thing about that, beyond giving me practically a medical degree in glaucoma care, <laughs> is um, the toy industry and the medical industry are very highly regulated in terms of safety. So years later, when I was applying again at Mattel, the professional portfolio <laughs> from working in medical marketing was seen as by Mattel as very transferable because I knew how to you know basically do promotional copy while still being within all of the safety guidelines. And that's very similar to the toy industry. Oh, cool. So that was basically how I got my in with Mattel. It was uh, through someone I met at Comic-Con that I showed my portfolio to. They were impressed most of the time. You know, even like when I was at Mattel, people coming up to the booth at Comic-Con would say things like, oh, you know, I really want to work in toys. And I'd say, great, what do you want to do? And they'd say, I don't know, I want to work in toys. <laughs> I want to just and pose figures for a living, please. Pretty much. So the fact that I actually had a professional portfolio with me was what kind of set me apart. And I wound up, so I interviewed, and it took about four months between interview and job offer, but I was able to get a, a job as the writer, what's called the copywriter, in the Hot Wheels line. Mm-hmm. Which meant I was the guy who came up with the names for all of the Hot Wheels cars and wrote the copy on the back of the track sets. Like, 
you know, zoom through the dragon fire and <laughs> you know, through the loop de loop and you could be the winner. So, you know, I did a lot of that, but it, it you know, it was very painful in a way because two cubicles over was the packaging group working on action figures, which was my real love as far mm. as a tool. What were they so working I, on at the time when you were kind of looking over? Um, they had just finished up 2000X and they were working on the DC superheroes line, the Justice League animated line. Uh, like you that. must be jumping at the bit. Oh, it was like, I mean, it was, it was, it was like wonderful and horrible at the same time because here right. I am working at Mattel, but I'm one row over from brands I actively collect. Right. So uh, then what happened is about a year and a half into my tenure on Hot Wheels, a gentleman, Tim Kilpin, who you may know because one, he was the general manager of Mattel. But back in the day, he was actually the brand manager for Masters of the Universe, and he actually wrote several of the vintage mini comics. All right, cool. Uh, including, I think, uh, the Search for Keldor. I, I'd have to check on that, but uh, he wrote a lot of the important ones at the tail end. So Tim did kind of one of those sort of in the trenches meeting with all of the different groups. He oversaw all of boys. And so he was doing sit-downs with Hot Wheels and action play and games and sort of finding out what each group needed, what was going on, what was our day-to-day -day like, is there anything he could do at the top level to help? So he's sitting down with the Hot Wheels packaging group, and most of the people in my group are saying things like, oh, we're having trouble getting like cardstock that will hold you know, the play sets in place, or we need better bubbles that will you know, glue to, to hold the, the figures in place. And then I raise my hand in the back and say, why don't we sell action figures directly to adult collectors? Hey. <laughs> and yeah, he's looking at me like, um, I'm sorry, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to talk about Hot Wheels packaging with you guys. But that's an interesting thought. Let's put a pin in that. Why don't you call my receptionist and make a meeting? Which, of course, I immediately did. And four months later, I got that meeting. So I came into Tim's office with a like basically a storage box full of stuff, which ranged from NECA staction figures to mm -hmm. Indiana Jones toys I bought at Disneyland to, I mean, just you know, Marvel Legends, all sorts of stuff. And I, you know, I basically made an off-the-cuff presentation to him, no PowerPoint, just me talking and pulling things out of a box, mm. saying things like, look, I'm spending you know, $50 to $200 a month on action figures, and none of that is with Mattel. This is the stuff I'm buying from Hasbro. This is the stuff I'm buying at Disneyland gift shops that could be done better, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. These are the staction figures of our own IP I'm buying from NECA. And I basically explained to him that there was a very robust market of adults, people, you know, over 25, who are buying action figures. And we have some great brands like Batman and He-Man and are not taking advantage of this. And... He essentially, he also recognized me because he was also a copywriter who went into marketing. Mm -hmm. on he, it's like we almost followed the same career path 30 years apart. And he gave me a shot. He moved me from the Hot Wheels packaging group into the boys marketing group. And I got a fold-out table against the back wall with an old <laughs> from the 70s. And I had like 90 days to basically put together a business proposal, which I had no idea how to do. And I'm freaked out because I think either A, I'm not going to know how to do this, and B, 
they're not going to have my job waiting in Hot Wheels. So I'm going to wind up at 90 days with no job. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, my hair's fallen out the whole time. I think this was like when I was engaged with my wife and we're planning our wedding. So, I mean, it's just enormous. Stress city. Yeah. But pulled it off, uh, essentially, with the help of a couple guys in marketing, like Jim Murphy and Johnny O'Neill. Johnny's actually doing a game line, too, which I think just got nominated for a game of the year. He started his own company. Uh, Jim, I think, is with Playmates now. But the two of them you know, had their standard MBAs and helped me put together the proposal for what became, essentially, Maddie Collector. And between doing the online sales and revamping Comic-Con, that sort of became a job. And as we were getting that started, so I was basically for 90 days working on that. And then very fortunately, and I know I'm rambling here. No, no, not. Um, Keep going. Mattel got the master license for DC. Previously, they just had the license to do Superman and Batman family of characters. And so they just signed the master agreement to now make everybody more or less Flash, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, you know, et cetera, et cetera, not just Superman and Batman characters. And I happen to know a lot about DC Comics and comic book toys and no one else on the marketing team really did. So they're like, oh, great, let's put Scott. This will be this is like an actual job we're going to have to hire for. We already have Scott. So we'll have him do that and Maddie Collector and Comic-Con, which, of course, <laughs> no human being would ever sign up for that in their right mind. But I did. Um, I didn't realize I was doing the job of like five people until I left Mattel for when I went to Jack's and was like, wow. And this he, is all to do? <laughs> he man is not even on the radar at this stage, is he? Well, so what, one of the things I had proposed was continuing the 2000X line. Essentially, we had all the tooling. It was only like two years away, old from the, from the retail line going away. And my proposal was to essentially just keep that line going for the adult collector and just do more obscure characters. Mm -hmm. All right. And the first <gasps> character we were going to do was King Grayskull using the ice armor He-Man body and just do a new head and a new cape. Right, cool. Because that mm -hmm. armor has like, the long loincloth and the boots. Yeah, yeah, and... I like ice armor. Good figure, good yep. figure. Yeah. So this is one of those serendipity things where it's the perfect alignment of two stars. The horsemen, completely on their own, having no idea that internally I'm pitching the idea of doing a direct-to-consumer line and Comic-Con exclusives. Previously, the Comic-Con exclusives were just like whatever was lying around. Things weren't actually developed for the show. Mm. Or if they did, it would just be like a new head, like Batman lifting his mask. Yeah. You know, they didn't actually do things from the ground up specifically for the show. And in fact, the people who ran the show for Mattel were just the summer interns. That was always their sort of summer task, was to run Comic-Con. So essentially the horsemen at the same time designed this new body for He-Man in the, in the style of Marvel Legends, if you will, with super articulation and six inches in scale. And once we saw that, I was like, oh, forget continuing 2000X. Let's just start over and do a brand new line using this body. Yeah. And because I'd already gotten the momentum going of doing a, more He-Man toys, we had what's called a slot open for development. Right. In Grayskull. And it was easy to basically just take that open slot that I'd already kind of won, if you will, mm. and move it over design-wise to say, okay, instead of Ice Armor He-Man, 
we're going to develop a new body and that's going to become the buck for a brand new line. We'll sell the first figure at Comic-Con as a PR push. And if there's enough interest, then we'll do six more figures. And the idea was they were going to be two packs. So we were going to do three two packs. Right. Because uh, management felt that characters like Beastman and Stratos would never sell on their own. So we would have to pair them with characters <laughs> like Beastman and Skeletor. Right. Okay. Little yeah, did yeah. they know. Huh? Did did yeah, how how far did you get into it? How far did you get into the two packs before you decided that we? we so right. Well, first first of all, what was the reaction to King Grayskull? So you went off. You used this book body. You 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 it the you you sold the 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 thing got manufactured. How how was the response to King Grayskull? Like can you remember? Because we were all we all lost our minds at the time. <laughs> I remember. I categorically remember being at that San Diego Comic Con. I was my. Second, or was it my first? It was my second ever San Diego Comic Con, actually, and uh, I was I was sharing a room with, with with Val and Kevin, unemployed Skeletor. Do you remember him? Oh yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah I was I was sharing a room sharing a room with him, and I remember I literally could not sleep the night before in anticipation of getting that King Grayskull. I was I I couldn't. It was just the most amazing. I was so ecstatic. And uh, and and anyway, go on. I've got little sidebar stories uh, as as well on that. But <laughs> so yeah, how did how did King Grayskull go down, Scott? Initially, with 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 everyone at Mattel and stuff like that. When I mean, a was it? Did you feel it was a good reception that it got at San Diego Comic Con? Was he clearly sold out? Yeah, I mean that that's basically it. Is I mean it did because King Grayskull did so well. That's what opened the door and said, okay, let's try splitting the two the proposed two packs up into singles and seeing if we can sell six individual figures over the course of six months. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was basically, I mean, it, it was, it was the fan support that basically drove that. And yeah, I mean, I remember when I, when I got my first sample of King Grayskull bringing it home, you know, this is prior to the show and just putting it on my, my shelf and being like, Oh my God, I made a He-Man toy. This is like <laughs> the coolest thing I've ever done. I, you know, at that point I didn't think I'd ever make another He-Man toy. That like, this was it, this one figure, mm -hmm. because I had no idea if it, but I was like, Hey, even if this doesn't work, I made a He-Man toy, and I can check that off on my bucket list. So, <laughs> and, and, yeah, and the body used it infinitum. Still, to this day, infinitum. Look at the bodies going on to Conan figures now and everything. Know, and Thundercats and everything. I know. That, that really cracks me up that it's actually being used for a Conan figure. It's mental, isn't it? It's quite <laughs> mental. I mean, we got the Vicor, obviously. But the actual full-on licensed Conan figures, I got the first one. Matt and I got the first uh, Super 7 comic book Conan figure. Dude. It's just mad to see Conan using the He-Man body. It's just... It's very nice, I've got to say. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, it's, good. it's, it's a good figure. But yeah, sorry, Scott, Gwen. Oh, I just said, yeah, it's a tail wagging the dog on that one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the the decision then was in the right find the castle, or King Grayskull went down, went down a treat. And so when... What was what was the actual key thing that said, oh, we can not, not do two packs, we can do do the line. It was basically selling out at the show, yeah. um, and not getting stuck with inventory and and seeing the fan reaction. So, mm -hmm. you know, it was basically uh, management was was basically allowing me to continue doing Maddie, essentially because as long as I did my day job, which you know was running uh, DC Universe, as long as I was willing to run Maddie, you know, and get that done, they would let me. Um, as I said, you know, I didn't realize until after I left Mattel that I was doing the job of multiple brand managers and no one in their right mind would do that much work. Mm. Um, you know, and if you looked me up in the system, like you went to the Mattel HR desk and typed in Scott Knightlick, 
my title would be brand manager of DC Universe. Maddie Collector was never an actual job, right. which is also why when I left, it kind of fell apart because, you know, if someone like the brand manager for Hot Wheels left, then that would immediately trigger for Mattel to hire a new brand manager for Hot Wheels. Mm -hmm. But because Maddie Collector was never an official job, when I left, it never triggered the system to hire someone new. Mm -hmm. And it was quite a fluid thing as well, Maddie Collector as well, because I started off as one, and, and then you did a, you decided then to do the subscriptions eventually, which was a shrewd maneuver actually doing the subscriptions idea, because that kind of made everyone because we were we were all losing our rags totally big time. I remember with that with the first few figures because they weren't subscription and they sold out like crazy <laughs> time. I remember, oh, there was murders yeah. after. Oh my <laughs> God, we lost our minds. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean the whole the whole idea was to you know get these to as many people as possible. We weren't trying to make it difficult. So I mean everything we were doing was in the name of getting product to people. Mm. What 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 may I ask? Was there large numbers on the first? Like what would have been like? You don't have to give me numbers, obviously. But but what were the numbers? Were the numbers vastly different from say King Grayskull to He Man and Skeletor or He Man and Beastman, say? Because He Man and Beastman were the first actual figures. I I mean I want to say that they were probably all I mean they were definitely the, I don't know if King Grayskull was less mm. but I know that it, I think it was like after once we got to like Merman or Hordak is mm. when we started getting higher production numbers right okay 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 um, and then we did a second run of a lot of those original figures because we knew there was demand mm. but did the numbers I mean, it, did the numbers increase as the line go on as the line went on or did it you, you did you find your sweet spot essentially I guess is what I'm getting at yeah we, we basically we found the sweet spot once we got to kind of merman and hordak and then once we were selling annual subscriptions I think we started with scareglow selling like a four month subscription yeah and then the following year was a full year including the wonder figure and that's right. He was a subscription exclusive, wasn't he? One He was the first subscription exclusive, wasn't he? One yeah. And that was the first subscription that just like went through on its own. Like it didn't take me begging people to subscribe. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And but that also, you know, it, by then it kind of really helped us know what was the you know the audience size, so we could really figure out production runs. And it was kind of easy to set with that. Right. So when you were j just talking money, um, when you budgeted for like Maddie Collector. Did you have to like separate everything out or did you have like a figure budget or a quarterly budget or? Eventually, like the first year was very different because it was much more of an experimental project. But when we, by the end of the first year, we'd done very well. And because mm -hmm. Maddie Collector was, if you will, not on the books, all the revenue was essentially additional revenue for the boys <laughs> action group. Right. which management loved because any shortfalls, they could be like, oh, but we made all this money on, you know, I mean, not all <laughs> this money, but at least, it, you know, it wasn't, you know, like we didn't have what's called a financial plan the first okay. two years. We were just going. It was like the Wild West. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then, but by the third year, once we were making money or, you know, I mean, a little money, we weren't like making Barbie money. Um, then we had a financial plan where we actually had a target that we needed to hit. And... So based on the target plan, let's just for sake of you know, a number, let's just say it was $5 million. I'm making this up just for a round mm -hmm. number. So based on the sales that we were targeted to hit, we would be allocated a number of SKUs. So if it was $5 million in sales, we were allowed to have, say, 75 SKUs. And 
we knew 45 of those were going to go to He-Man and 30 were going to go to DC. And then we had this number to play with for conventions or other brands like Ghostbusters. So that's kind of how it worked is that your financial plan dictated how many SKUs you got. And it was like a puzzle piece where you would take the total number of SKUs you had and fit them into the brands to make it work. That sounds that sounds like a bit of a headache. That does. <laughs> oh, completely. <laughs> Again, this yeah. is why I think nobody took over the brand when I left because it was an insane like system. It was like crazy. And, and there's so much delay and overlap of budgets and time periods. Like how, like when you got your budgets or you're looking forward, were you looking forward to like a year at a time, like the the Mattel fiscal year, or usually you're working two to three years ahead. So okay. where are we? We're in uh, June of 2020 right now. So Mattel is probably just showed the 2022 line to retailers. Okay. Wow. In this toy fair that's going on right now, or last week, or it's around this time. Wow. Huh. 2002? 22. 22. So, sorry, yeah, 22. So we're talking like essentially about 18 months in advance. Yeah, and they're and they're probably working like they've shown retailers 2022, and they're currently starting to brainstorm work in August on 2023. Right, right, right. Okay, at at, at what at what stage along did you, you did you think to yourself, I've nailed it, I've got I've got the sucker down? Because you know, again, it's you 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 were essentially t- you you were essentially on this for about well, I'd, I'd say let's say was it seven years, Scott? Was it seven or eight? Um, I left Mattel in fourteen, um, and we launched Maddie in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. But I started at Mattel in two thousand five, right. so I was with Mattel in total for almost ten years. There you go. But you oversaw the line for so but for about seven years. Then that's that's that's. <laughs> at what point along did you figure out? I I think we got a hit here. I think. You know, this is this this is something. I mean, it was basically when when I think like Stratos sold out or Skeletor, whichever one. I think it was one of those early figures that sold out very quickly. We knew that there was an audience for this. Mm. Um, I actually thought that Justice League Unlimited was going to be the backbone of Madden. Right. That that was what was going to keep the line going because if you went online to some websites, fans were just going crazy for like we want this figure and that figure and. Justice League Unlimited had very little tooling because of the because of the aesthetic and the body type. You could use the same body with a new hape and hape, a new head <laughs> and cape. Um, you know, to make so many characters in that kind of Bruce Tim style. And I completely thought that was how we were gonna run Maddie was on the Justice League line. And it turned out I mean we again I thought He Man we'd be lucky to get those six figures. We would do those six and call it a day and that would be it. <laughs> I remember, man. I, it was, it was, it was again. It was two thousand and was it seven when myself and Emiliano and some of the Mattel staff. And I don't know if it was you, Scott, because I didn't know you at that stage. But I remember some of the Mattel staff were, were there as well. Emiliano and Emiliano were sitting in the lobby, and I'd be, I'd seen the the new masters, the, the these new. And I I remember losing my mind. And you know, it was oddly enough, besides obviously Skeletor was amazing. But you know what was the figure of the classics that really just lit? Just I just lit up. It was Zodak. Because he was one of the first ones, and I remember seeing like just that prototype of Zodak, that first prototype picture of Zodak. That was it. I just lost my mind. I was like, "My God!" Because yeah. we we were all still quite hungover after 2002, really, weren't we? Because we were all dying for more 2002. It was like, "Oh, 
just more mm-hmm. of it. That was such a frustrating period of time because the cartoon on its second season was really starting to rock, you know, and 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 you know the comic comic book then got pulled and oh, it was just such a hard time. And then the figures sort of windling down and windling down and windling down and then reissues and reissues of colors and then it just kind of fizzled away and 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 we got yeah. thankfully we got <laughs> we got the NECA statue sort of a horseman. The boys, the four boys, kept the kept the flag flying with the, those statues, which are still amazing to look at today. But it, when those, when that, like, the classics were announced, man, I, I think we were just like, hallelujah. It was just, oh, it was amazing. I remember being so Zodak's excited. still one of my favorites. Zodak's mm-hmm. awesome. I'm, I'm looking at him right now. That's yes. a cool figure, man. Isn't he? Yeah, he's <laughs> yeah, just cool. perfectly translated, perfectly from the original, you know. It was like, Absolutely awesome. And, yeah. uh, what was the so inception-wise, Scott? Where wh- what role did you play with the four horsemen in in, ter- in terms of inception? Because obviously the four lads have put out their figure as just say that let's we're just putting this out there just to be mischievous. I love it when bo- creative do do mischievous things because look what we got. But oh yeah, and I'm not saying that's by the way that I'm not saying to do with mischievous, but you know the creators put it out there. And Scott Scott's it just serendipitously all that lines up perfectly. So what was what was the in what were the original meetings? Can you tell us about or Scott with the four horsemen and how that kind of incepted itself and kind of why what you said what what why did you make the decision for going full on retro and 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 bearing in mind we from what we understand and and how they looked as well. You based like Merman is the giveaway that you we're going to do the ones on the card back. Because I think I think remember at the time I remember the horsemen were saying that you know we we, we saw the card back illustrations and, and while the figures were great the card back illustrations were just a touch cooler maybe you know <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. Scott yeah um so well I think that you know the the original figure of just He Man of that buck was kind of a standalone thing the horsemen proposed that again having no idea of the work that I was doing to mm-hmm. get the direct consumer line going. I, you know, I think they were proposing that as a retail line, as a possible way to continue He-Man at retail, and which Mattel wanted nothing to do with because they just, you know, 2000X had just sort of quote unquote failed at retail. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, there's a whole that's a whole other ball of wax as far as case packs and when the show was aired and everything you just said. I agree with. I mean, like, yeah, the, I, mean, I was a huge fan of 2000X, the show and the toy line, and that second season was amazing. Oh, so good. And that was why I originally proposed King Grayskull mm. to be, a, you know, to keep 2000X going was the idea, like, let's just keep making toys in 2000X. Because it was a great know, choice, by the way. That was a really good choice. Was that your choice to do King, it was your choice to do King Grayskull then? But, yeah, that, that was how I originally, the idea was I wanted to keep 2000X going. Yeah. And knowing what tooling we had available that we could basically do a head and a cape, who could we do? Yeah. I was like, oh, well, we could do King Grayskull because we could use the ice armor He-Man yeah. body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, and yeah. That's, that's where, I mean, that's why the first figure wound up being King Grayskull and not He-Man because, as I said, those plans were already in place. Mm-hmm. And then once we saw the Horseman prototype for what became Classics, the, the one, the idea of doing you know a whole line and starting over became a no-brainer, especially from a marketing standpoint, because now we could do you know we could start with the A-list characters versus with 2000X already done you know Man at Arms and Skeletor and Beast Man and stuff like that. So if we did if we started over from ground zero, it meant everybody was on the table, and the idea that they were going to be you know, paying homage to say the card backs, like with man at arms, the fur in the armor or merman's head mm-hmm. that really came from, I mean, that people, myself and the four horsemen and Terry mm-hmm. to a degree as well, were all fans of He-Man and you had people who were fans of the brand and who were actually toy collectors working on it. Mm-hmm. Cool. And 
basically making the toys that we wanted, that we wish existed. And then I do remember for you know pretty much every year at New York Comic Con, I would sit down with the horsemen, we'd get like a conference room on the top floor and we'd sneak away for like an hour and basically go through the next year's list and talk about every figure we wanted to do, what accessories to do, what heads to do, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wanted to get there. Like, I know that Cornboy or maybe Eric really wanted Clawful earlier. Mm-hmm. So we moved up in the list. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they had design input, like saying that if we did, it would be a good idea to do Buzz Off before Whiplash because of how they wanted the back to work. And it would, you know, if we could do Buzz Off first, that would be easier. Mm-hmm. So they had input from everything from favorite characters they wanted to do earlier to design. But it was all kind of in the bubble of using the vintage structure of, you know, beastly body, reptile body, and human body, Mm -hmm. you know, by doing those three bucks in the beginning, that's why Zodak was such an early figure, because he was an early figure in the original line. And, you know, following that system of using the, you know, the human reptile and beast body parts mixing and matching them as needed. Um, yeah, that's that's where it all came from. And then every year we would sit down at New York Comic Con and go through the following years or two years in advance list. And we would just go figure by figure and we'd talk about each one and what each was going to come with. And mm-hmm. we'd come up with ideas. And then I'd go back and I'd get that all in the system. And that's kind of how... I mean, they were very much collaborators in that sense. Because I, I, I think... I, I remember this as well that you know you you kind of kicked the door out obviously with 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 this the horde or uh, he-man skeletor beastman and and zodak uh but it was it was good because you kind of got we got like things that we never saw in 2002 but that we were dying to have as figure form in figure form quite early in classics we got the hero and hordak for instance they were quite early on as well because we were we were dying for a decent hordak figure for the 2000 next line we never got one yeah we got the staction but we sadly mm-hmm. then the stactions just a tantalizing thing of what the figure would have been like it's like ah uh... but um we could make make a whole separate podcast about our mornings of 2002 but um yeah so <laughs> i mean so that i i remember being quite delighted quite early on that we were getting uh, you know you were you're peppering in some other rarer characters along with the safe bet kind of main ones as well which is which is like like we had green goddess for instance you know and, and that's why it worked i genuinely think that's why the whole thing worked because it was like we didn't do what you know they did with the um, two thousand X where you, X where you just got like the different disco skeletons and all that. I think that's literally why it works. It was just like you were saying, Scott. It was catering to fans, and fans knew what they wanted. You knew what the fans wanted, and it all worked out nice. You know, mm. it had, it I used to love seeing those. I used to love seeing those. Um, those little hints in the San Diego Comic Con. Oh yeah, we used to lose our minds. Just a little hint. Like a little someone's sword or someone's whatever, you know. Like I used to watch him every every year, but like, oh yes, this guy's coming, or oh my god, that guy's coming. Oh, that's what yeah. Scott used to sneak him in on stage. What was that? And you flashed it. Do you remember that? You used to flash it really quickly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and all of that, you know, from include from doing Hordak and Hero and Green Goddess, and you know, that was all deliberate. I mean, as I said, I was a huge fan of 2000X. I was a collector of 2000X. I bought that Hordak staction figure, mm-hmm. and doing i mean everything you said was done for exactly the reasons you said mm. and you know you know again jumping back to the very first thing we talked about about origins 
that's kind of the difference right there is with classics, you had people like the Horseman and myself. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not taking all the credit for this. There were a lot of people, but we were fans of toys and of Masters of the Universe versus, you know, I kind of see Origins as like, well, let's just make this because we can make it. And, you know, yeah. that Or let's make it because someone else is making it. Right, like like we see, you know, yeah, we see these Batman figures at retail in the E-Man form factor. So crap, we better make that ourselves so mm -hmm. we don't look like this. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, we were making classics because we love He-Man and we love He-Man toys, and you know, and a lot of the storyline. Also, I did a video recently on the Spectre Creative YouTube channel, talking about how the classic storyline which came out through the bios was all based on what was going to happen in the 2000X show based on the notes that mm -hmm. Ian gave yeah. me when Ian Victor left Mattel as well as the interview he did on He-Man.org talking about all of that so really classics was kind of a love letter it was meant to be like well if we couldn't get more episodes of 2000X I'm at least going to tell this story through the action figures because it's too damn good of a story not to tell, and I wanted to see the rest of it, so we'll at least do it this way. I thought it was. I, thought, I, I loved all that stuff. I loved reading all the bios every every month. Some of the things, you know, some some I wasn't big on, but but most of it I was really down. Because even as a kid, I kind of used to justify myself. How is this all one continuity? You know, how is the the comic books that I'm reading a different a continuity? How does LinkedIn with the with the the cartoon? How's the movie? And I always said, oh, the movie's a little bit in the future when He Man's king and he's not Adam anymore, and and these kinds of things. And I thought Scott, one of the things that you did nicely with the bios was kind of unifying and unifying every every kind of continuity. Where did what, the He Man's notion? There you go. There's a good question. Where, where did where why did you decide to, to to do that one? Because that's a bit of a controversial one, isn't it? So all of that was done, if you will, from a marketing standpoint. Uh, you know, basically, you know, the, the idea of having everything count, there's sort of two ways you can approach that. Mm. One, you can do a multiverse, like what DC is doing in the comics now, which yeah, is awesome. Yeah. I cannot believe Mighty Spectre showed up. Like, oh, yeah, you know. he did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, someone's used it. Like, he lives. Yes. Um, he lives. He's part so, of it now. It's <laughs> basically, yeah, two approaches. You can either A, do a multiverse, or B, kind of take what, the approach we took with classics and try to give at least nods to everything. And the reason for that was purely so we could sell the most amount of toys. You know, we didn't want to just sell a toy and call it Prototype He-Man. Right, okay. Make it viable is what you're saying. Yeah. You know, we didn't want to sell a toy called Early Art Concept Skeletor right. or, you know, Wonder Bread Mail Away He-Man, we by giving them names and bios and incorporating them in the continuity, it and I talk about this a lot on the on the uh, YouTube channel. It made them marketable characters, so that you could sell a toy of it. And even like I love seeing how like Mattel does action figures variants like of um you know Anti Eternia He-Man and and Wondar and mm -hmm. Slime Pit He-Man. Because classics kind of establish those as characters and not just as deco variants. Mm. Right, and, they're not figures; they're they're true characters. Right. So yeah, it, it was but... literally all done from a marketing standpoint, if you will, so we could sell more toys. Because we basically any deco variant, any you know green goddess, all of that, anything that we knew fans wanted. My idea was let's work that into the continuity as a legitimate character, so that it will justify selling a marketable 
toy of that character. And if it takes off, that's great. If it doesn't, that's fine. But if it does take off, it means that there could be, you know, Funko Pops of that character and T-shirts <laughs> of that character and little people of that character. And, and there have been. Know, and there have been. That was the whole point. That's why we did all that. Mental. That's very interesting. John Atkins, come on, give us a question, John. You've got to have something, <laughs> okay, John. Scott, I've got a question for you here. So you mentioned each year that you would have a set budget for the line. Back in 2012, you released an amazing 30th anniversary line that included new characters like Dragoman, uh, Fearless Photog, and, of course, the Mighty Spectre. Were you able to get a separate budget to create those 30th anniversary figures? And also, what was the inspiration to do that sideline of figures? So it wasn't a separate budget. It was more like our budget increased because sales were going up. Um, and it wasn't just from Motu. It was from things like Ghostbusters and DC and Voltron. And just everything we were doing was hitting. Um, so we got a higher budget. Essentially, we were doing better sales. Sales dictated what you got as a budget for tooling. So we knew that we had additional slots for, you know, to overall. And since it was He-Man's 30th, it made sense to do like a dedicated 30th anniversary line. So basically got to thinking, okay, for 30th anniversary line, what should we do? And, you know, a lot of things came, you know, should we do an ultimate version of He-Man? Should we do, you know, gold colored characters like Star Wars does sometimes? You know, there's a lot of ways you could celebrate an anniversary. And one idea that came to the table was the fact that in the vintage line, all of the character, a lot of the time, the characters, the very first time you were ever going to encounter them was as a toy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the first time you might meet Zodak or Rio Blast or Snout Spout or, you know, whoever was when you picked up the toy. That might be your very first experience with the character. And, you know, as I kind of said, you know, it's like my company, Spectre Creative, looking at the emotional connection between purchaser and toy. To me, the idea that a lot of these characters were a toy first, that that was a unique emotional connection. So that sort of snowballed into the idea of, okay, what if we did six characters that were completely original and the very first time you're ever going to meet them are as toys? So that. that's where the emotional inspiration came from. And what we wanted to do with those six slots was immediately we knew we wanted to do Fearless Photog as one of them and we wanted to do a fan contest to have fans create a character which of course in hindsight all I was doing was creating a ridiculous amount of work for myself but that's not <laughs> <what we did. laughs> um, I'm glad you did it because I really enjoyed that that was so yes. I, I wish I took a picture of like all the mail being like stacked up in my cubicle because like there was no place to I, I mean it was like my contest so I had to run it and so like yeah the, the mail department would just like deliver like all this mail in front of my cubicle and it was like literally stacking up it was crazy <laughs> Um, I'd love to see all the designs in one place, you know, like, I mean, I, I'm sure there was thousands and thousands, but, uh, you know, just see, like, a catalogue of every design would be amazing. We have, <laughs> I mean, we're all, I put them all in a three-ring binder at the end because, you know, we required everyone to do it on an eight-and-a-half by 11 piece of paper for that reason. Right. And I know I'm getting sidetracked here, but, you know, I mean, one of the things, there were a lot of common themes. Like, we had a lot of fire guys and stone guys and ogre guys and, right. you know, it's like that. So the, we wound up putting them on boards of like common themes. So we had like a giant board that had like all the fire guys and a giant board that had all the nature 
ties and you know things right. like that. Um, so, but anyway, back to why we did the 30th anniversary set like that. So we had these six slots, so we're going to celebrate the 30th anniversary by doing original characters. And the original idea was to reach out to people who worked on the brand or who were known artists or creators or you know, like the Mark Taylors, the Roger Sweets, whatever, who had worked on the brand and have them each create an original character. So you might get like a Mark Taylor character or a Tim Kilpin oh, character. Oh, that would be nice. Mm-hmm. So that was the original idea. And every single one of the people we reached out to said no. Oh. And they wanted a ridiculous amount of money to do it. Nah. Um, they so, probably yeah. weren't aware at the time, Scott, exactly how the, the fan thing, they weren't quite established, maybe uh, aware of the, the fan love for what they did back then at the moment. I would guess there was still a little bit of kind of sour grapey kind of stuff maybe going on there and stuff. Yeah, and old, old workplace kind of shenanigans. Yeah, oh. I, I think it had more to do with their their uh, time with Mattel than any any current events. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I, I would wager if you asked them to do it now, they probably wouldn't because they've now gone on to the conventions and PowerCon and all these things now. So they kind of know that the, the, the love is there. And I think if, if they knew that this this action figure line was such a niche I'm, I'm, I'm underestimating Scott I'm sure Scott probably told him that it was a very fan driven <laughs> thing to sell it sorry Scott <laughs> but you, you probably didn't yeah, mention I mean, it was a fan driven thing and it's just they just weren't interested I guess more or, less, more or less and we basically had you know there wasn't money to pay any of these people it was it had to have been done out of love mm. um, even like when yeah. I approached Nate who created Fearless Photog uh, you know when I called him up like um, you know cold calling him I, you know, I introduced myself, and when I told him what we wanted to do with Fearless Photog, I said, "Look, you know, we can't, we can't pay you for, you know, again for Fearless Photog. I know you won the contest and got like a Disneyland trip and a scholarship as a kid, and I actually have to have you fill out a legal form signing Fearless Photog over to Mattel, acknowledging he's our property in order to do this." But he was not doing that. I mean, he was ecstatic to be part of it. He was the only one that like kind of played nice. Sweet. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's a fan. He's isn't finally he? getting his uh, his action figure made. Right. It only been twenty five years or whatever it was at the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because he was promised it, I guess. I guess. It's such he's a like, you guys owe me. <laughs> so yeah. So basically, we had no money to pay people to do this. So everyone had to do it, you know, voluntarily. And since we couldn't get people who worked on the brand, the idea was to try to get celebrities. So then I started reaching out to very popular comic book artists to do it. And again, they all wanted money. Um, And we couldn't, you know, we had no money for this. The only one that was willing to do it for free was Jeff Johns. I had become friends with him through the Green Lantern line. Mm. And he was a huge He-Man fan. So he was like, oh, my God, I will so do that. (laughs) Yeah, wicked. So that's why Jeff Johns did one of them, because, you know, again, I had reached out to all, all these huge comic book artists and writers I mean, I must have reached out to 20 of them, and he was the only one willing to do it for free. Yeah. So, and his, we... his figure, Sir, uh, Sir Laserlock, I felt it really fit in with the line, too. It was like a figure I could have seen made back in the 80s, which I really appreciated. And if I recall, he actually submitted Sir Laserlock to the contest. <laughs> oh, wow. There you go. <laughs> he found his original art for it, which he faxed me or mailed me or whatever. Um, so yeah, so basically we now had Fearless Photog, a fan winner, and Jeff was the only comic book professional willing to do it for the love of the brand. So now we had additional slots and management said, well, you know, Scott, you're well known, you know, with the brand and the Four Horsemen are known and Terry's known. Why don't you guys just do the other slots? And I was like, wow, you want to give me one of the slots? Yeah. Okay. 
you know, I was like, I won't say no to that. And because uh, management felt that I was, you know, well known, you know, as I was the kind of the brand ambassador and the horseman, obviously. So that's how one of the slots landed with me and with Terry and the horseman. And did I miss it? I think that was it. I think that was the six slots. Nice. Uh, yeah. So there you go. That's how it came to be. Oh, so, I mean, Spectre, you, you, got, you got to make your Spectre figure. I mean, I'm, you know me, I'm not a huge fan of the Spectre figure, but you got to you got to make it, man. I'm not going to never, yeah. not, I'm not going to do it for getting his own. You managed the bread. You kind of deserved it, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Mighty Spectre, too, like, there's a good reuse of parts there as well. You know, um, like, there was a new head made, there was a new armor, and uh, but that was it. Everything else was really recycled parts, wasn't it? Well, and he was also designed based on what his vintage figure's action feature would have been. I, I even remember when I used to do the um, uh, Roast Google Dinner, the, the He-Man.org podcast, and I remember specifically Val Staples saying that if he had designed a character, he would have designed him based on the action feature first. And I'm like, that's what I did! You're all bashing Spectre! That's exactly... <laughs> How I designed Spectre. What would his feature have been? Uh, a light, a light uh, tunnel, or something like that. No, it would have been the uh, blade that comes out of his wrist. It would have been like those Wolverine claws back in the Secret War, or not Secret Wars, in the Toy Biz figure. Oh, like the Luke lightsaber. Right. So, so if Spectre was in the 1986 line, he would have had a um, a. a blade the energy knife would have slid in and out of his wrist gauntlet that would have oh, that's, okay. that's why i kept the energy sword or knife and not the whip because okay. the whip was like the additional thing the sword was right. meant to be because i designed him i wanted him to feel like he was an updated version of an 86 figure so right. well of course then there was um then there was grayskull man as well we didn't mention oh um, castle grayskull man yes yeah yes yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was definitely he boiled up to the top very quickly yeah. in the um, submissions, and I will tell you, he, I think he won by one vote in the end when we had the vote off. Wow. Wow. Who was the, uh, or, or can you not say who was the who would have got the second? Who was the the other person or the other character? I want to say it was Raja. Oh yeah, he. Yeah. See, I really dug that one, man. I really dug yeah, that. I, I like King Grace. I like the character. I like Grace Goldman too. But Raja was different. Raja was different, man. And I, I liked that one a lot, actually. Well, he was another yeah. culture as well, wasn't he? You know, he was like adding, a, adding another, another color other than um, you know, plant champ into um, yeah. Into yeah. Mass well, the universe, was there know? any chance of him getting made at all, Scott Raja? Was he ever on the cards at all? Well, I mean, like I said, he lost by one vote, right. and literally it was, I remember it like being one vote between the first and second, and even, I think, third place. Um, but that was one of the reasons that I put all of the fan contest runner-ups in the mini-comic, because this way, right, right. It, the idea was we could make him not as a fan contest winner, but as a mini-comic character. Yeah, So, right. you know, because yeah. it wasn't yeah, which fair. Was, which was awesome. Yeah, the mini-comics were basically... The whole point of them, besides continuing the story, was also from a marketing standpoint was to pepper in as many characters as humanly possible so that as we ran out of vintage characters, we had justification to do these other characters. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, it was all done deliberately. So, you know, the same thing, I think we put the vintage, the uh, vintage creative character contest losers or runner ups like Netta and, uh, suction cup guy I can't remember his name um, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. all of those were in the mini comic too again 
with the idea that we could now do them in the classics line, not because they were runners up, but because they were in the mini comic. And then new new guys like that. Remember that big guy? I can't, I'm having a hard time remembering his name. I like Bob so Lore. Bob Lore was fun. Hans Bob Hammerholder. Yeah, Hans Hammer, and he, he worked <laughs> off the um, off the Ram Man book. Oh yes, yeah. Which would have been yeah. which would have been a great. I, I always thought to myself that would have been an amazing figure, huge big Viking dude, you know. Yeah, he was. That's. I mean, I created him. Uh, the idea was he was a he was basically kind of like Gimli the dwarf, but the idea yeah. was kind of like what they did in Infinity War. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, the giant dwarf. Actually, yes. that, that was basically the idea. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. Um, <laughs> Dinklage played. So yeah, I mean, he was designed. I mean, when we when when I created him, when I told uh, I think it was Axel who did the visual, I said base him on Ram Man's body and give him Gimli's head, basically. Yeah, right, right, right. Cool. Cool. Right, yeah, he's a cool one. We we better move the flipping conversation. We 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 are gonna be we're gonna be talking. We've already been on for an hour on an hour and twenty minutes. We better like better kind of like move on. I'm just wondering should we do a part two? <laughs> I'm more than happy. I probably have about fifteen twenty minutes till I have to go uh, back on parent duty here. All right, you okay. got fifteen twenty. Well, quick, quick, quick. Oh, jeez, oh, I don't if know. We can do a part two. I'm happy to do a part two. Do you want to do a part two? Yeah. Do you know sure. what? Let's do a part two. Let's do a part two because honestly, there's there's lots to talk about because I'd like to get into Castle Grayskull and just kind of go on because the idea was to kind of get you up to Castle Grayskull. How did that go down? Things like that. and just just to hear nuts and bolts because it's this is the thing we start talking and we find little nuggets <laughs> to, to expand upon I and things know, like that right. and that's yeah. kind of the issue. And I, I genuinely think for our listeners, there's a lot of really cool in in, in you know insights here. I, I wouldn't mind spreading this out into a, into another episode because uh, we have had Absolutely. a good we have had a good good hour and twenty. And by the time we get to um. Uh, Josh's finds and and mat- matted arms. We're gonna be done, and I'd I'd like to to sign off <laughs> Scott properly as well and stuff like that. So that's what we'll do. So listeners, we'll stop Scott's interview there. Scott, are you cool with that? Are you cool with coming on maybe again, maybe about two weeks time? That, absolutely no. I'm I'm honestly, it's like I don't get to talk He Man that much because <laughs> you know. Like, I have, you know so this is I love it because this is like I mean I love He Man just as much as you guys do. Yay. So doing these podcasts is one of my favorite things to do because I actually get to talk about toys, which I love doing. Uh, exactly. So, yeah, I'm yeah, always down to come back. Castle Grayskull and Snake Man. Yeah, Castle Grayskull and Snake Man. Oh, my God. What's going to be? Where's it going to go, Scott? Where's it going to go? Have you got... Well, we can talk about the slime pit and all sorts of things that we had ideas for. Oh, Oops. well, there you go. Right, right. Save, the, save, save, save for next one, Scott. Yeah, let's save for next one. <laughs> Right, listeners, thank you so much for all that. That's, see, that's some good tidbits right there. Thanks, Scott. Right, we're gonna, what we do here on this, on this uh, uh, podcast, Scott, from time to time, is, as you know, Josh is with the Power and Honor Foundation stuff, and Josh always, he always finds some juicy stuff, don't you, Josh? And uh, I try. You do try, <laughs> and you do succeed, sir. And uh, for all, all you listeners, go on to the Battlecast Facebook group, and you will see that what Josh has posted. And what have you got for us today, Josh? What does Josh's finds echo? Fine, fine, fine. So... As a similar theme of a lot of my finds, I'm not a hundred percent sure of what I have, <laughs> but, but 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 I recently came across original wax casts slash sculpts for the original Shira figure. Ah, ah. Nice. so I'll put the pictures up on the Battlecast uh, Facebook page and mm-hmm. wherever else you guys want to share them. Cool. Um, so they came from an original Mattel designer. And they're in a box, and all I have are her legs, her crotch piece, and her torso. Oh. But they're a little bit more detailed than the production figure, and larger. Wow! So she's 
So she would have been a, a, originally she was sculpted a little more leggy. Oh yeah. Was it shrinkage that through, for the uh, production, uh, or was I, it sculpted bigger? Oh, was it meant to be bigger? Right. So I I think it's a little bigger than accounting for shrinkage. It's too much to be shrinkage, you reckon? It's too much of a differentiation for it to be shrinkage. I think I, I think so. Like we're, a lot of okay. things in life. <laughs> Uh, well, unless, uh, unless they knew that they were going to um, continually modify and cast it and knew each time it was going to shrink. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, like, unfortunately, I have no information about this piece, like where about in the design process. Mm-hmm. Um, the odd thing is, I believe it actually came from a boy's toy designer, not from a girl's oh. toys designer. Wow. That's so, very interesting. But, but again you don't know if he just took it off somebody's desk or yeah. um, you, you don't know how he, he came about, uh, you know, this being in with other boys toys prototypes. Yeah. He might've just made a generic female warrior and used this as a basic starting point or something like that. Yeah. yeah. It could have been a crossover yeah. easily. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I, but, but, but it's pretty neat. Like you could see where jewel, you know, they, they had that design in place very early on. Um, you know, the design on her boots are very similar. Mm. Um, but everything is just slightly oversized. Right. Okay. I mean, did you I think? I was, was more of a Golden Girls fan. You are <laughs> no. more of a Golden Girls. <laughs> I, I like the metal. I like the metal accessories with the Golden no. Golden Girls. Scott, yeah, have you have you seen these, eggs, have you seen these pictures, Scott? <laughs> no, I, ha- I that would be. I would love to see those. Um, and I definitely. I mean, I could probably add a little insight too. I mean, yeah. I mean, Chew I know was definitely designed by the boys group first. Um, mm. There's a whole other story there, but that's really cool. Really? Yeah, Josh, you are an unbelievable toy hunter. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fascinating, and uh, the fact she was taller as well, or uh, originally taller. So that's 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 fascinating. Crikey! Well, that's a whole other topic we can talk. All right, we'll be continuing with that. That's another little. If you got more nuggets than that one, Scott, please, you know, let's 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 drop that in next week. We we, we can go deeper. This is the thing you see. You could, we can go a little bit deeper into these. I'm going to be rushing, trying to cram in all the questions, and we can expand. And everyone wants to hear the flip the stuff. So you do. Uh, right then. So nice find, Josh. Very nice find. Leggy Shira. Who doesn't love a Leggy Shira? <laughs> Come on. We love Leggy Shira. Filimation, she was so leggy. They're all supermodels in Filimation. <laughs> These guys are all supermodels. Oh, bless. Oh, the 80s. But, you know, and, and of course, uh, Scott, have you been watching the new Shira on Netflix? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's different. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's awesome. It, I, mean, think, I think it's absolutely brilliant for what it, for what it is. It's, yeah, it's, that's a great mm-hmm. way of, yes. It's as, 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 as a girl's kind of direct focus, targeted thing. I think it's absolutely excellent. But to be honest, I'm enjoying the story as well. I think the characters are, are absolutely excellent. And they had a little rap video that they put out recently as well, which is quite funny. I have to, <laughs> I have to say that was, that, was, that was quite funny. But uh, we've also got a little bit of a thing as well that we like to tag on. I can see what our member of our staff here at Battlecast has been up to. And of course, as you've seen, folks, Matthew has been doing something quite radical, haven't you, Matthew? You're, uh, you're on to a man. You've we've you've now finally released your full Man at Arms picks. I don't know. I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> well, well, what is the what is the reaction been? Have you seen this, Scott? Have you seen Man at Arms? No, no. I I gotta check all this stuff. Dude, out. go onto the Battlecast Facebook group. Seriously, Scott, you have to see Man at Arms. You're gonna look at this and be like, "That's Man at Arms." You seriously, it's awesome. It is. It's flawless. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, flawless. It's like, yeah. I, I feel terrible. I'm not, I feel like I'm not on the pulse of uh, the He-Man community. I'm, I'm checking it out. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Well, I was talk talk away about it, Matt. I'll find a picture of it for Scott. Yeah, what's that, bud? Talk away about it, Matt. I'll I'll find a picture for Scott and I'll drop it in the chat, Scott, so Scott can see. I want to see Scott's um, reaction on here. It's it's basically a cosplay. You know, I I worked on um, what was the movie? Uh, Free State of Jones a few years ago, and I met uh, and one of the girls working there is is a cosplayer called Ricky, and she does like um, you've probably seen a Rocketeer cosplay, like sexy rock. Rocketeer girl, and uh, and she was telling me all about it. And you know, me being an old fart, I'm like, you know, cosplays for kids for like hot young girls, and you know, cool. And I thought to myself, but but I started getting really into it, you know. And I was I was looking at all the stuff; it was really cool. And I thought, who could I do Master Universe wise, you know? And I was I just was like, oh, Man at Arms, because he's a you know an old fart that's kind of you know still reasonably big, but and and so I, so I built myself a, a Man at Arms costume just in my spare time, and. Uh, and everyone, everyone's really liking it, so that's good. <laughs> well, far and away, that is the the best Man at Arms cosplay I, I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah that's Thanks, man. damn impressive. That. <laughs> Look at that! Look at that, Scott. Yeah, hey, I just went over to the Facebook page too. I, now, can you join it? I liked it. I don't know if I can join it. Don't join it. You can join it, but you can see that you can see pictures in the, in, in the chat there. So, but yeah, join it away, Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that way I can also post the uh, director's commentary videos there. Yeah. Ooh. Cool. Yeah. Oh, there you that go. Is, yeah. That is an amazing costume. Wow. Thank you, sir. That's amazing. It's amazing. And, and what are you working on now, Matt? What's, what's the next one? Well, I'm doing, I'm doing, I, I put up a little thing in face, on Facebook saying, you know, should I do Fisto or Skeletor? And Fisto won out by a landslide. So, of course, I did Skeletor. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, um, Fisto. And I think it's to do with, I think it's to do with my, not shyness. I'm not exactly a shy person, you know, but, but I'm not, you know, I'm not like this extreme extrovert. Like you see, you know, hot girls in cosplay, you know, showing everything and pulling silly faces. And I and and it's cool, and I think, wow, you look great, but I, it's just not in my nature. So the characters I like to do are going to be, you know, man-at-arms, where it's a helmet and a bit of his face covered. So, you know, you just really see in my eyes. You're not an and exhibitionist, course, are you, Matthew? Says the man who huh? appeared topless in our video earlier on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's all right, because you guys. <laughs> but... Um, but, uh, and it is hot as balls over here as well. But but Skeletor, of course, your face is covered and he's got a cool armor. And again, you know, most Master Universe characters, they're all naked. So unless I've got a body like Schwarzenegger, you know, you can't pull it off. Oh. So if I can yeah. get away with sculpt, like on the Man of Times one, I sculpted a, a muscular arm because it's the one arm that's showing, you know, and cast it, you know, molded it in, in plaster and then casted it out in a flexible foam so I can slide that sculpture up underneath my sleeve and bang all of a sudden I've got 22 inch biceps you know yeah <laughs> that's looking awesome so, so far uh, as well we're not we're not so we're not going to post pics but just you know, yeah. we, sorry sorry I'm talking over you no go ahead go ahead well see we're not going to post pictures of your skeletor just yet Matthew are we we're going to we're going to wait a little no, while no, and get, no. get a little bit more finished no, it looks it looks rough right yeah it's 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 it's, it's, it's rough and sketchy but yeah look 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 for yeah. that soon folks pics to come soon well right yeah. folks we've reached the end of our podcast now i have to say at uh, thank you to uh, to Scott for coming on and i got to say thanks to my uh, to Matthew thanks for coming on Matt there you go. Cool. <laughs> You're, where where, where <laughs> were you though? You were, were you way back in the world. Where have you gone? Josh Van Pelt, thank you very much for coming on and joining me today, sir. Anytime. It's always a pleasure. Excellent. Johnny Atkins, who does love Rush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks again for having me on the show. It's always a pleasure. Awesome. It's my delight having you three on again with me, uh, with me on this uh, little humble podcast of mine. And uh, right. And of course, 
to our star of, the, star of the hour, man of the hour at the moment, is, is Scott Knightley. Thank you so much for coming on, Scott. As I said, man, we'll definitely get, get you on the, on the next one again to continue on our conversation. But uh, yeah, it's been delighted having, having you on. Uh, we can catch yeah, you. No, th- thank you for having me. Absolutely. Like I said, anytime. And, and uh, for those of you who are G-Man fans, do check out the director's commentary videos that I have on the Spectre Creative YouTube channel. I think people will really enjoy them. And we'll link them on Battlecast, uh, the group Facebook group as well, on for Battlecast. And that, that by the way, reminds me, folks, so go on to Battlecast. So it's on Facebook. Anybody wants to email me, you can e- email me at amonart.com. you got to check out Matt's. If you want to see more of Matt's stuff, you got to go to Castle of Power on Facebook. Isn't that right, Matt? That's right. There you go. And, and Josh, uh, Power and Honor Foundation. Again, great Facebook group. Always check out there for uh, archive pics of figures and stuff like that, Josh. And, of course, Leggy Shira. And Leggy Shira, will, Leggy Shira will also be on our thing as well. And Johnny Atkins, He-Man World. Folks, go visit He-Man World. John posts all the latest He-Man news and all. Don't you, John? Yes, I do. <laughs> you guys should be just doing all... You guys should just be doing all this stuff. I'm doing far too much talking here. But uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you go. Scott, I'm going to say thank, thanks again for everyone. Oh, Jesus Christ, man. Battle Pigeon. I totally forgot to mention Battle Pigeon. Getting kind of annoyed now. He gets really... No, he gets really, really, really angry. I don't... He gets, I have to, like, edit out some of the bad language of the video. But he's asked... God... Battle Pigeon is asking me, Scott. Why? Why? Scott? Magic? Formerly of Mattel? Why? There was no Battle Pigeon thing. Please, can you tell us why there was no Battle Pigeon figure? Are you listening? It's not I, I my fault, dude. You blame this man here. I thought there was a Battle Pigeon. I'm looking at it. Don't you have it? No. How do you not have it? No. We all have it. Did you not get it?